The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome, everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It is uh, April 28th, Wednesday morning, and uh, we're just glad to have everybody out there in Detroit and also in uh, the greater Washington, D.C. area in Virginia and uh, Maryland. And uh, we have a great lineup of guests this morning and topics, uh, you know, phenomenal first guest. I'm really excited about because when I was a kid, I had a 64 Chevy 409. I blew up the engine and then I put a they put a sludge box. I think it was called a 357 engine. And then it was that blew up. And then I had a 327 jacked up in the air. Big tires. They're wide uh, glass pack. Uh, on my uh, car engine and I drive around and uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time loved it. But what can you say? Uh, I can only think about that beautiful uh, super sport Chevy. It was just phenomenal. But we're going to be talking with uh, Lebanese American Tony Breidinger, the first Arab and female race car driver for NASCAR. She's doing very well in competition, the winningest female driver in the U.S. Auto Club. And uh, later in segment two, we're going to take a more somber look uh, at uh, and discuss President Biden's decision to recognize the massacre of Armenians at the hands of the crumbling Ottoman Empire uh, that took place on April 24, 1915. More than one million Armenian Christians were killed at the beginning of World War One, in part because the Ottomans viewed them as allies of the West. More than 100 years later, the West is taking official notice with us to discuss this. Uh, and we're gonna be talking with award-winning journalist, Lara Satrakian, who's the founder and CEO of the digital media network, News Deeply. And we have Anna Chaglassian. And I hope I love Armenian names because half the Arabs I know, uh, my mother was from Bethlehem and all her neighbors were Armenian. So you'd think that I get Armenian names right, so I'm hoping I'm getting Annie's last name right. She's a national board member of the Armenian National Committee of America. But first, we're going to take a quick break here at the Ray Hanania Show, brought to you by Arab News at ArabNews.com on the U.S. Arab Radio Network. We're broadcasting live on WNZK AM 690 in Greater Detroit and WDMV AM 700 in Greater Washington, D.C. Streamed live on Facebook right now at facebook.com slash Arab News and also broadcasting live on ArabRadio.us. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. 
Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to Life now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seat guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And my guest this morning is Tony Breitninger. She is the first Arab ever Arab female race car driver for NASCAR and the winningest female driver in the U.S. Auto Club. She continues to pave the way for young girls of all ethnicities and backgrounds in a male-dominated sports. She currently drives number two. SS Chevrolet. Um, I can only imagine uh, that car. I'm in love with vehicles. I'm in love with cars. And she drives that for the Young's Motorsport in the ARCA. And just 21 years old, just 21 years old holds 19 USAC wins, an all-time record high for any female driver. Her career has been filled with historical moments. And in 2018, she joined the Venturini Motorsports team where she debuted top 10. Currently, she has this huge social media network. Um, and uh, she's uh, really becoming a, a powerful figure, I think, in racing. 
Um, she certainly got my attention. Her brand sponsors include Head and Shoulders, Sunny D, Kim Kardashian, uh, who was Armenian, um, and also I believe uh, Huda Beauty Products. Correct? Yes, that's correct. Thank you for the amazing introduction. Yeah, we just had Huda Beauty on our car, and also Vibe Season. They're both Arab owned, so it was amazing to have them on my car the last race. Lebanese, the best dancers. Okay. I, every half I go to, they're phenomenal. The best food I love. And I know all, all the other Arabs are going to be killing me and yelling at me for this. You guys have phenomenal food. And now one of the top race car drivers, how do, how does a young lady, Lebanese American get into race car driving? That's a phenomenal story. Yeah. So it all started in go-karts. Um, I just went go-karting as a kid, just for fun. I was nine years old. Um, my dad just took me and my twin sister, Annie, just up to the go-kart track for the weekend. Um, just as like a little family activity. He wasn't trying to make anything come from it. Um, but I just fell in love with it and so did my sister. So we just started racing and just traveling all over the country for races. And um, just from there, just kind of climbing up the racing ladder system. And here I am. And your sister, um, does she race cars too? Um, so she used to basically when it came down to choosing college or racing, I chose racing and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, since that's kind of like the hub of all the, the NASCAR teams and everything like that. Um, and then my sister went to college at Purdue University in Indiana. Wait, and she's a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer, right? Engineer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. What do I, Every Arab parent wants a kid to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, never a journalist. But what about race car driving? What did your parents think when uh, you decided to say, hey, you took me to that slot car race when I was a kid. It's your fault, mom and dad, Baba, Yama. What are we going to do? What did what did they say? I mean, what did they first think when you said you were going to do that? Um, I think they thought it was probably just going to be a phase. And they just thought, you know, like when you're a kid, you always say like, oh, I want to do this. I want to be this when I'm older. Um, so I think they thought it would kind of eventually pass. But when I got to high school, I think they kind of realized, oh, like she's actually not kidding. She's taking this seriously, especially when I made made the move out to North Carolina. Um, then I feel like they really thought, OK, like she's moving out just to like pursue this. And I feel like that's when they kind of realized that I'm not kidding anymore. Um, but they've been really supportive, you know, like a little skeptical at times. Um, but my mom's my biggest cheerleader and my dad has always been really supportive. And it's got to be tough, though, being a, you know, first of all, Arab American. It is, by the way, for everybody, Arab American Heritage Month um, ends at the end of this month in April. It's also a Ramadan. So, of course, Ramadan Kareem to all our Muslim friends out there. And uh, also uh, it is Orthodox Easter is this Sunday. Um, you know, we're lucky as Orthodox Christians. We celebrate regular Easter. And then a few weeks later, we get to buy all the Easter candies and marshmallows at 75% off. So we can celebrate Easter for the Orthodox. Um, so we want to just have a shout out to all those people. But how does a Lebanese American girl get break into NASCAR and do so well? What, what, how did you do that? I mean, what people must have said, no way, you're too young. We don't have, there, are there a lot of women in NASCAR? Um, um, there really isn't that many women, especially, you know, there's different series in NASCAR. And as you go up to the higher series, there's fewer and fewer women. Um, but there is like a lot of younger girls coming up through the sport, which is really exciting. I feel like, you know, the next few years are going to start seeing more and more women, which is really exciting. And um, even as non-drivers, just as engineers and um, just in the pit area, I've been seeing a lot more female faces, which has been really exciting. 
so you're kind of a role model but how, what are the is it challenging to uh you know it, it's got to be challenging but it does it hold you back in any way of being arab or uh, a woman in an industry driven by men i mean i grew up tearing apart carburetors lifting up the back end of the super sport you know the chevy super sport that i had when i was a kid wanting an ss chevrolet which you drive mm -hmm. i mean those are phenomenal things you know these are the things they drill into our our heads as young boys and yet as a woman you're kind of breaking into like new ground has it been challenging what's it been like yeah i mean it's definitely been challenging i mean for me, I don't see myself as any differently. I always say, you know, like the car, the track, they both don't know gender or your background or your ethnicity. So to me, like all that's relevant as soon as the helmet comes on, everybody's a race car driver. Um, so I really don't see myself as any different, but I do feel like maybe it's been a little bit harder to gain respect and um, just to be taken seriously in some instances. But um, for the most part, I just see myself as a driver, just like everyone else. And now I, I when I was talking to uh, uh, emailing with uh, one of your uh, uh, co-workers, someone who uh, works with you, she had mentioned that uh, you're looking, you know, that you have to actually go out, get the money to run in these races. So you have to put the money up front and there's something like 29 big races. You've managed to get into 10 so far. What, what's happening with that? Yeah, so racing is an expensive sport, as I'm sure many people can imagine. Um, and it's hard to get sponsorship. And I feel like, you know, some people might not take you as seriously, especially just like manufacturers and just more um, companies that have just been around for a while. They don't always take you as seriously. And it's just kind of hard to like gain that respect and really reassure them that you can go out there and win and um, do your part on that. So it's definitely been a little bit of a challenge we're working towards hopefully racing in full season right now we just committed to 10 races um but we're working hard to get that sponsorship um to race the full season so each each race uh so these big 29 races i think there are you have to pay to register to get in then you have to compete to be one of the finalists to actually race in it so it's a risk a little bit isn't it yeah, no, it's definitely a challenge, but to me, I always say the hardest part is getting the funding. It makes racing the easy part. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Once you make it there and your name's on the race car and you're actually there racing, it's really a dream come true. It's a dream come true. And I'm always really grateful for everybody that supports me in that. Now, where I happen to be, I'm in Chicago. So the Bettenhouse family is very close. I know most of them out here in uh, Tinley Park uh, near where I live. Um, but that's the closest I get to racing. And when you watch it, it seems like it's a tough thing. I mean, you get in the car, how fast do you go? I mean, what's the fastest you've driven? Yeah, so the fastest that I've ever been was actually last weekend at Talladega. Um, I think we got up to like 185 miles per hour. So that's the fastest that I've ever been. Um, oh I was such a fun race. I'm like, I wish I could just relive that day over and over. Really? 180 miles an hour. I, I did a NASCAR once for a newspaper at the Chicago Sun-Times. You know, I did a test drive, and I think the most I got to was like 65 because, you know, you'll drive fast on, on a regular road, but when you're on a racetrack going around in a circle and with all these other cars, it was very frightening. Yeah. You're not frightened at all driving these cars, you know, all that, the closeness of the cars. I mean, there's a risk. Yeah, no, there's definitely a risk. I mean... I really, I've never been scared during a race. I feel like you just, you just get super focused and it's an adrenaline rush for sure. Um, and you know, you're less than an inch off the cars around you going 180 miles per hour. You're 
an inch off the wall. It's intense. Everybody's trying as hard as they can to win. So it's definitely a very intense atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I've never been scared during a race. I'm just always so focused and um, maybe a little like naive and ignorant. Um, but yeah, very focused during a race and I love it. Now you're uh, Lebanese American, part Lebanese American, obviously. Breitdinger is, I think, uh, German, possibly. Yeah, my dad's German. Mm -hmm. Your dad's German. Your mother is Lebanese. I bet she makes the best grape leaves ever, correct? Yes, that's my favorite. All yeah. right. I love to talk to anybody who loves grape leaves. You've already won me, so I'm going to be cheering for you from now on. What Do you get a lot of support uh, from your home country, from Lebanese Americans, the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, and Arab Americans? What What's that like? Yeah, I feel like um, just this past year, really, I feel like I've gotten so much support from them and I'm really grateful for it. And it's been amazing with social media. I feel like I've been able to reach and communicate with people all over, especially in the Middle East. So it's been really exciting for me to get messages from young Arab girls. I'm just reaching out, saying how much of an inspiration I am. That's been really amazing for me to see. Do you do anything when you prepare for a race? Is there, do you go through a routine like... Uh... You know, everybody is it like uh, and knock on wood, obviously you're doing great. Oh, and what was the last big race that you won? And what I think you just mentioned it, but what's the next big race you're going to be in? Can we watch you? Can we cheer you on? Yeah, I want to so, get people out there to support you and help you. Yeah. So my next race is this weekend at Kansas. I'm going to be racing. It's on FS1, which is Fox Sports. Um, so I feel like most people can probably get that. Um, if it's not on Fox Sports, it's usually on NBC. So it's kind of where my races are at to watch on TV. And then also I'm always posting about them on social media the day of. Have you been able to uh, race in any of the competition in the Middle East, like in Dubai and uh, any uh, of those yeah, golf countries? I, I would really love to. I was hoping to get out there earlier this year with COVID, you know, kind of held things back a little bit. Uh, but I'm really hoping that I can make it out there this year and do a couple of races. That'd be I'm going to talk to our editors at the Arab News and we'll see if we can get you out there because we got a big network of newspapers in Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai, Japan and Tokyo, Paris. Any other countries you've raced in besides uh, the U.S.? Um, I've done a little bit in Austria, but um, that's about it for the most part, just because NASA is very big um, in America uh, primarily. Um, I haven't raced like outside too much but i would love to that would be amazing to travel and race that would be phenomenal and uh um i know that you have a race coming up you said this weekend i want to make sure we uh we watch that so after the show you got to send me all the details so Absolutely. and so that we can publicize and get people watching and uh are when you go out to these places are people surprised you're what 21 years old you're female um, and they look, okay, where's the driver? Does anybody come up and say, hey, can you get your driver over here? Yeah, there's been a lot of times where I'll tell people that I'm a driver, I'm a race car driver, and they'll think I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I feel like people don't usually look at me and think, okay, there's a driver. Like when we're signing in for the race and stuff, there's been times where they're like, okay, where's the driver? I'm like, no, it's me. I'm right here. Um, so and, I do think it catches people off guard a little bit. And the industry, they take you serious. I mean, do you do they kind of look at you and say, okay, this is just a, this is a male-dominated sport. You mm -hmm. know, what are you doing here? You ever get that from the industry people at all, or? Um, honestly, I'm so focused. Like I know that I what I'm there to do, and I'm just very focused. You know, during race day, like what my job is to do. So I feel like mm -hmm. I don't really think of you know, what's this person thinking of me or what do they think about me? I feel like I'm just very focused about what I'm there to do. And I don't really let what other people think distract me from that. 
And do you do anything like special to kind of just before every race? Is there something that you do that, uh, you know, just to kind of give you luck or is there like a routine or something that, you know, just, I know some people will, you know, do different things to kind of get them in the groove there to make sure that they're like right on track to keep them focused. Is there anything you do? Yeah, I have a close team around me at races and like right before we go out for a race, um, we'll just kind of like talk and like just say positive things, manifest a little bit um, and say like a little prayer and just just really start the race off on like a positive note and just kind of like release any nerves or anxiousness. Um, so I feel like that's just like a good way to go into a race. You just want to be really positive and confident and not anxious. And tell us about your car that you drive. Do you have like one car or do you have several cars? Um, what do you drive? Yeah, so I have several cars. They're all Chevy cars, um, but depending on the track, we'll change cars. So this past weekend, I was running our super speedway car. Um, so this next weekend, the track's a little bit smaller, so we use a different type of car for that. Um, so depending on the track, we use different cars, but they're all Chevy cars. And I suppose being in racing, you have a Ferrari, right? Oh, that God. you drive when you're at home and you're just uh, hanging around. I wish one day I'll have one. <laughs> no, you will. And is there anything you're doing to promote like the sport among women to get encourage, you know, women to to get into the sport? Is there anything especially to uh, obviously Arab Americans being, you know, Arab American myself. But is there anything you're doing to encourage women and Arabs to get into the sport to actually become drivers? Yeah, uh, I feel like social media has been such a great way to kind of just like bring awareness to the sport and that if you're female, you can do it. And um, it kind of like goes for anything. If you want to do something that's kind of like out of the norm, I always try to tell girls, just go and do it. Just like be the girl that goes and does it. Um, and don't be afraid, like just be confident in yourself. Um, so I feel like for me, social media has been really great. And um, just press in general, I always try to make a point of trying to like help empower girls and um, show them to just go break those barriers. Do people have more of a problem being Arab or woman, you know, female? Do you, do you sense that or is there either one or are they both the same or it's not or is it irrelevant? Um, I feel like, you know, I obviously, you know, NASCAR is um, a male dominated, white male dominated sport. Um, so you do get like comments at times. I feel like um, if you're a girl, you're going to get comments. If you're a different race, you're going to get comments or different ethnicity. Um, so I feel like no matter what, you're going to get comments. You just have to, um, kind of ignore them and just know what you're there to do. Any final thoughts? Uh, you know, Tony, I mean, first of all, I I'm so pleased to have you on the radio show, not just being Arab American heritage month, but you're kind of a pioneer. You're really kind of breaking, uh, you know, that glass ceiling is shattered and, uh, you're really gonna, you know, one day they're going to be talking about you as one of the top racers and, who knows, maybe even making movies about you. But I, I think it's phenomenal. Any final thoughts at all you want to share with our listeners, especially the ones in the golf who are listening? They're yeah. watching us right now on Facebook and will be watching us all week on Facebook. So we want to make sure that everybody in the air world gets to know that they have somebody in a very popular competition. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to keep up with what I'm doing and my races, social media is kind of the best way to keep up. And then pretty much all my races are televised. Um, so yeah, I just, I love, you know, when people reach out and send messages, I always try to answer as many people as possible. Um, so yeah, I love to just like connect with people and um, I'm definitely excited for this year. I feel like um, it's kind of like my time and I hope that everybody can kind of watch and I can help pave the way. That would be great. And 
at lot at uh, let's see your Tony Bridinger at Tony Bridinger on uh, Twitter is that correct? Yeah, and I pretty is much that, on every social media platform. If you type in my name, I should pop up. All right, we'll do that. Listen, Tony, thank you again for joining us. It was such a pleasure to have you on. I I know how tough your schedule has been, and uh, you know we're just excited that you're able to to join us. And I hope you come back. Um, another time, maybe after one of your big races, just to share a little bit, even for a few minutes, to share with everybody how, how well you've done because you, we're gonna, your following is gonna grow here, okay? And we're gonna help push it. So thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. That was uh, Tony Bridinger, the first ever Arab female race car driver for NASCAR, the winningest female driver in the US Auto Club and uh, really a uh, role model for not just uh, young girls and Arab Americans, but really for everybody, someone willing to take on their challenge. Um, and we've just been proud to have Ryan. Good luck with the next races. This is Ray Hanania here at uh, the Ray Hanania Show. We're going to take a quick break uh, here at the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabNews.com. Um, and when we come back, uh, we will talk uh, about a much more somber subject, uh, obviously, a very difficult one for a lot of people, uh, Armenian genocide with two great guests. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take an ad break, and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu, like frike, poise, grape leaves with steak, mashawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebang, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering. 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical 
physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And remember, if you're in Detroit, the greater Detroit region, the show is rebroadcast every evening on Wednesday night at 5 p.m. So we're not only on at 8 a.m. in the morning live uh, in Detroit and Washington, D.C. In Detroit, we're rebroadcast at 5 p.m. So you can always uh, listen to the show again. And, of course, you can always go to the Arab News Facebook page at facebook.com slash Arab News, where we are streaming and broadcasting live there at Arab News Newspaper. And uh, you'll be able to watch that video of this entire show in its uh, full length. And it's amazing how many people connect to Arab News' Facebook page. Uh, Their website is arabnews.com. Um, right now, uh, I tell you, our, the, when you talk about the Armenian genocide, um, I don't understand why it's been such a struggle to get the uh, Turks, who are kind of the, the remnants of the Ottoman Empire. It would seem an easy thing to blame the Ottomans and to accept responsibility, but every time you bring it up, I know the Turkish government gets really upset. Um, they don't want to go back and, and talk about it, but it's such an important moment in human history and we just can't uh, ignore it as, as i mentioned my mother's from bethlehem my father's from jerusalem a lot of our neighbors um were armenians who moved and fled the ottomans moved in into the arab community in palestine um and they were and a lot of them are like cousins and relatives of mine um the only thing i have a hard time with is the last names hananiah was tough enough to grow up with um, let alone uh, to have a little bit tougher Armenian name. We're lucky to have two guests on with us. Um, Lara Satrakian, who's on the phone with us. Um, she's an award-winning journalist, digital strategist, and social impact entrepreneur who founded and is CEO of the digital media platform News Deeply. And we also have Annie Glassian. Did I even come close, Annie, to pronouncing your name? Close enough, Ray. Close enough. I pronounce it for me, just so I. Chaglassian. Chaglassian. Okay. Perfect. And Lara, did I get your last name Satrakian correct? You did it perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Lara, Lara, let me read what uh, President Biden said this week, and I, I don't get why it's. Uh, I mean, I understand how it's important, but. It's always been important, but President Biden kind of put a spotlight on this when on April 24th, which is the anniversary of this uh, 
uh, viewed as the day of this uh, massacre. He said, beginning on April 24, 1915, with the arrest of Armenian intellectuals and community leaders in Constantinople uh, by Ottoman authorities, one and a half million Armenians were deported, massacred, or marched to their deaths in a campaign of extermination. We honor the victims of the Meds Yadarn so that the horrors of what happened are never lost to history. And we remember so that we remain ever vigilant against the corrosive influence of hate in all forms. Let me start with Lara, who's on our phone line. Um, Lara Satrakian, what does that mean to you to have the president recognize this massacre? How significant is it? So do you hear me well, Ray? Yes, yes, we do. Thank we you. We just and I know the line and I came back in. Yeah. yeah, don't worry about it. Thank you, Laura, for being on with us. But to your question, oh, much appreciated. Thank you for the flexibility, but much much appreciated on the question as well. I think this is an incredibly important statement from President Biden and from the United States. It's not just a question of the moral authority or the weight of the American word. In this case, two countries had an up-close front seat to what was happening during the Armenian Genocide, the United States and Germany. And their eyewitness accounts, their diplomats, the U.S. ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, Henry Morgenthau, they, their memoirs are the primary source material. They saw this happening before their eyes. They interacted with the Ottoman officials who basically said straight up, this is our strategy, we're getting rid of the Armenians, essentially. And uh, Morgenthau's own uh, book, frankly, is his, the, the uh, memoirs that he has published. They're on Amazon, they're out there. They're, they're very, very important source material. The Germans, as well, they've actually not only recognized the Armenian Genocide, they've apologized for their complicity in standing by while it happened. They were all over Anatolia, basically the interior of modern-day Turkey, when this happened. So it was way overdue, but also this isn't just a question of America finding it politically convenient or this being a moment of weak relations between the U.S. and Turkey. And it's certainly not a question of Armenians say it was X and Turks say it was Y. The evidence is there, the, the chronicling is there, and it's really time to make peace with that history. You can't do it if you pretend it didn't happen. Right. Annie Chiglassian, uh, she's a national board member of the Armenian National Committee of America, a senior investment banker professionally from New York City, and uh, born, uh, your, your career was at the UN both in Geneva and New York with uh, uh, MA and MBA. Uh, including from uh, Columbia University. Uh, you serve on a lot of uh, boards of Holocaust and genocide studies. Um, how significant was to you was the president's uh, recognition, as he called it? Thank you, Ray, for having me on today. Thanks for the invitation. Hi, Lara John. Hope you're doing well. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been decades, decades upon decades that the that there's been a gag rule imposed on Washington by Ankara uh, in the context of the Armenian Genocide. Armenian Genocide is uh, one of those uh, you know, issues that's been proven over and over again. There's no doubt the U.S. government knows, every branch of the U.S. government knows, uh, the Turkish government knows as well, the Turkish people know as well. Some of these people were the neighbors and now the descendants of the folks who either committed the genocide or who helped some of the survivors escape. So everyone has this in their history. It's not just a memory or a, or a intergenerational trauma for Armenians. 
it's the same for Turks, right? Now they've passed on the knowledge that their grandfather was a was a math, you know, someone who massacred their neighbors and their cousins and their whatever. Um, so we're uh, we're glad that finally the time came. I think uh, the statement is very powerful. Uh, President Biden uh, has a long history of uh, being on the right side of this issue. Uh, so uh, you know it was time. The time had come, and finally, after decades, um, Washington was able to break out of this this you know the break out of this sort of forced not telling the truth. Um, I think what's significant also is um, for for the, for the Armenian community, obviously, is what comes next, right? Um, I think having uh, the declaration is very important. Putting that word on paper is very important. But now we have to turn it into the policy of the United States because putting the word on paper is only a word on paper and now uh, it needs to convert and we're confident that the uh, Biden administration uh, will do that and will pursue that. But the, um, the, without converting uh, that statement into policy, it, it really doesn't have much teeth. You know, being Palestinian, I spent my whole life understanding and recognizing this genocide, one of the first terrible holocausts of, of our generation um, and our uh, new age and there have been several obviously the holocaust during world war ii with the jewish community at the hands of the nazis is terrible um, yet why what is, i don't understand the issue i guess maybe uh, annie you could explain it and Lara, you could also jump jump in here why is it such a big deal that we, I mean, I've always felt it was acknowledged. Was it that they would come close to treating it like it's a serious topic? Why did it take Biden and why did it take us so long? I mean, it's, you know, it's 2021. Why did yeah. it take so long to get to that point where we feel like, wow, they finally wrecked What were we doing the whole time? Well, that's a, it's a really good question. Um, I, I remember, you know, I've been doing what we call HITAD or ANC work for, for over three decades now. Uh, and I remember year after year going to these hearings, uh, you know, in uh, either state houses or Washington, D.C. Uh, and as you know, both the Senate and the House overwhelmingly in the Senate unanimously passed the genocide resolution as well back in 2019. Um, year after year, going to these uh, sort of appeals to the U.S. government at various levels with survivors who were still alive at the time, right, when I first started to work on this. And there were generations of folks before me who worked on this as well. The biggest issue is, uh, you know, post the Second World War was uh, the USSR versus the United States, right? Turkey uh, ge geographically is located in a place that's very, very important for the United States. Uh, it uh, needs Turkey to um, further its own uh, interests in the region. Uh, Turkey is a NATO ally. And so it's tough to go to your, uh, you know, NATO ally and someone you need and say, by the way, you have a lot of skeletons in your closet, buddy. Don't you think you should come clean with that? Uh, it's a difficult discussion to have. Um, and it was one that was not expedient for the United States to have, but that wasn't for a lack of knowledge. Everyone knows uh, it, there's no, I mean, the, the records of the United States government itself from that time frame clearly points to genocide, race extermination. Uh, but I think the issue was that uh, it, was, it was hard to overcome uh, that need. And frankly, you know, they, leaders didn't have the courage 
to, to, to do the morally right thing. Um, and Turkey's constant threats, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cut off our relations with you, we'll close Incirlik Air Base, we'll do this, we'll do that. I think Turkey has shown uh, that certainly they're not uh, as good a friend to the United States as they claim to be or as the United States would like them to be. And I think now is a time frame where maybe there's some cognition of that on, on the side of the United States. So that's one of the reasons. But I think that the key, the key here is that the word genocide has legal in, implications uh, under international law. The genocide conventions are, the, are called the genocide conventions, the prevention and punishment of genocide. Genocide is a crime. Uh, and uttering the word genocide by a state like the United States has implications for Turkey in that it becomes to become isolated in their denial, right? Uh, the more countries recognize and the more it turns into part of their policy uh, discussions with Turkey, the more Turkey, the more Ankara becomes isolated and then it becomes difficult for them to continue this denial, right? And once once they're over the denial and they come to, and they, they deny for uh, political and political reasons, right? It's not because um, they don't want to acknowledge history. I think it's it would be easy for them if there were no consequences to uttering the word Armenian genocide, they would do it today. But the word genocide has legal implications under international law, and but, that's the issue. But, uh, and maybe Lara, you can help uh, uh, also comment on this. I mean, we were talking about the Ottoman Empire, then the Turks formed their own country. I mean, they didn't call themselves the Ottomans. You would think that a successor government would say, this was a terrible genocide, it was horrible, take responsibility for it, say we want to do whatever we can to help it. Um, but it was done by our predecessors, the Ottomans, who were sultans, khedives, uh, you know, Jamal Pasha. All, that was one of the things, Hans Morgenthau was somebody that I studied, uh, his writings and the Ottoman Empire was part of my studies. And uh, Lara, I mean, why haven't the Turks wanted to, you know, why doesn't Erdogan just say this happened, but, but it was somebody else's responsibility, we haven't done anything? Does that give him any I, protection yeah. against genocide charges? Well, you know, I think that would be a very savvy move and would be a very good communication strategy. If I were advising them, uh, you know, it would, have, it would have frankly shut this down a long time ago in terms of the public headlines. What I think is also of concern, and I'm not, I'm not someone who's involved in or particularly savvy or, or knowledgeable about or, or frankly very well versed on the arguments for reparations, but I think the fear of reparations uh, loom very large in Turkey because, it, uh, you know, first and foremost, the churches, the church properties that were seized, I think is a very clear fact, uh, and it's very hard to get around that once you accept that it happened. And a lot of businesses and, and a lot of lands were built on that can be traced very easily. Ottomans kept fantastic records. Some, some Armenians have the titles to their homes. It's very easy to trace it back. Uh, our family home, one of them is now a cafe in, uh, in Gaziantep. I, when I was covering Syria, I would go there often, and they would welcome me warm, warmly, and I'd, they actually have the, my great-uncle's, great-great-uncle's photo on the menu. So, you know, it's, it's, it was very large, this, this fact that these are the Armenian homes here, now one's a hotel, now one's this. Unwinding that, I think, is very scary for industrial Turkey. It's very scary for uh, Erdogan's uh, support base. A lot of it, perhaps, 
for instance, it's quite concentrated as well in Anatolia in those areas. So it's it's complicated, and unfortunately, without that real reckoning, it's it's hard to make a real and lasting peace. But the right thing to do is to recognize the truth and then come together and sort out. Okay, well, how are we going to bind up these wounds? And you know, every Armenian is entitled to their view. Everyone's entitled to their opinion on what would be a a conscious and fair sort of letting the dust settle, uh, but that we never ever got to that because they were denialists about something that was plain as day. I, I want to ask both our guests, so we're going to take a quick break real fast, and we're going to come back with our two guests, Lara Satrakian, who's an award-winning journalist uh, and uh, founding uh, CEO of the digital media platform News Deeply, and Anna Chaglassian, who is a national member of the Armenian National Committee of America, um, both of them are experts on uh, this uh, topic that we're talking about, President Biden recognizing the genocide of Armenians on April 24th, 1915. We're going to take a quick break, though, if you don't mind. And when we come back, well, I, I want to ask you both about what is expected of Turkey? What do we expect Turkey to do now, if they ever come to the point where they acknowledge, yes, this was done, it just seems like a smart thing for them to do and then move forward, as uh, Lara and Annie have said. But let's take a quick break, if you don't mind here. I'm Ray Hanania. This is the Ray Hanania Show brought to you by Arab News at ArabNews.com on the U.S. Arab Radio Network broadcasting live on WNZK AM 690 in Greater Detroit and WDMV AM 700 in Greater Washington, D.C., Stream live on Facebook.com slash Arab News and also on ArabRadio.us. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take an ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with our discussion with our two great guests right after these messages. Bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rigo Picon, Dana, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. Wearing a mask is more than protection. It's a bridge to better days. The path back to celebrations with family. Nights out on the town with friends. Game days with your favorite sports teams. And the thrill of live concerts. But until we can all get the COVID-19 vaccine and build community immunity, which will take time, we all need to continue to stay careful because Michigan's recovery is depending on you and so are your family, friends, and neighbors. So even after you're vaccinated, wear a mask, avoid large gatherings, and social distance. One day in the near future, we will all be able to put this pandemic behind us. But until then, spread hope, not COVID. 
Learn more at michigan.gov coronavirus. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248-299-3937. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And, of course, it's Arab American Heritage Month in April. We're very proud of Arab News newspaper and U.S. Arab Radio Network supporting and uh, promoting uh, Arab American Heritage Month. So far we have, I think, about 29 states that of the 50, maybe 51 if they make Washington, D.C., uh, a state recognizing April as Arab American Heritage Month. It's also Ramadan, and I want to wish all the Muslims out there Ramadan Mubarak, Ramadan Kareem. Also, uh, Sunday is Orthodox Easter in the Arab American community, especially. It's a big day for us, um, so a lot of people will be uh, celebrating. Uh, with me this morning to talk about our topic about Armenian genocide, just a horrible thing. I grew up my whole life as many Arab Americans who know Armenian families. We've lived with them in Palestine and throughout the Middle East. Um, they're like family to us, um, a little different ethnically, you know, much different background, but we're so close. So many Armenians I know speak Arabic. And uh, it's just uh, sad that this has taken so long for someone to actually step up of significance, like President Biden saying this actually happened it is genocide. It needs to be dealt with. I have Lara Satrakian on the line, an award-winning journalist, and Annie Chiglassian, who's a national member of the Armenian National Committee of America, with me. Let me start with uh, Lara. And why do you think the uh, Turks have not... I mean, what would be the implication for them um, to just say, yes, this happened... Uh, what's the cost to them? Is it pride? Is that what's stopping them? I mean, what is it that... Uh... There's a lot of... I mean, it's nationalism. This issue has really embedded itself in the identity and the sort of national narrative of both people, Armenians and Turks, who live together and built so much together for centuries. But now, for Turks, for some Turks, denial of the genocide is a very important sort of way of exercising their identity. And it's very hard for them to imagine their forefathers having done something so wrong. Um, and so that's, that's a very hard thing to shake. And Annie Chiglassian, what, what is it about the Turks? Why, what's the cost to them? What, what's the consequences if they were to ever acknowledge it? Is that what they're afraid of? 
the consequences. Uh, you know what? I have you uh, unmute your mic. I'm sorry. Sorry there you about go. that. Um, no, that's right. So as, as Lara so eloquently put it, I think some of uh, the initial issue is psychological, right? To uh, say as a people, uh, to embrace this fact that your grandfather or great-grandfather uh, was part of this mass genocide, uh, that they, with their own hands, perpetrated these awful crimes against humanity. It's something that as a society, it's really hard to wrap your head around, right? To say, oh, my papa was this terrible person. He killed you know, hundreds of Armenians or raped women or this or that, right? Um, I think that's that's one. But I think as a state, the state has an issue with it. And that's where the problem is, right? The state doesn't want to embrace this, even though it's part of their history, because it has legal consequences. Once you embrace the fact that, um, you know, you utter the word genocide and you say yes, and as you mentioned, Ray, earlier, uh, that it was the Ottoman Empire, not the Turkish uh, Republic, um, even though the genocide actually went on through 1923 during Ottoman time as well. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, uh, so the issue, the issue is that successor states still have legal responsibility for their predecessors. Just because you change the name of your state, just because you elect a new body, just like Germany did after the Second World War, right? The, the the government changed, but that doesn't mean that the new government says, oh, I had nothing to do with it, so Germany bears no responsibility in the Holocaust. Uh, that's not how state responsibility works. And I think the issue is that Turkey, once they take state responsibility for the genocide, then it'll go back to what Lada was referring to, which is restitution, right? If you commit a crime, in every country in the world, there are laws that when you commit a crime, you have to make the victim whole, right? That's how, that's how justice works. And in this case, this large crime has to be made whole and how you go about doing that is complicated. But the first step of Turkey saying, yes, this happened, now we take responsibility. The responsibility component is what, uh, that, that's the biggest hurdle for the Turkish Republic. And we're talking about costs of uh, uh, compensating the uh, uh, the descendants of survived most of the uh, families that may have lost people during the Holocaust, we're probably talking one, two, maybe even three generations later. Is that the stumbling block that they just don't, not only don't want to acknowledge it uh, and admit it, but they don't want to be on the hook for uh, compensation? Correct. Correct. I, I believe that the biggest, that the biggest hurdle for the Turkish government is uh, this concept of justice. Uh, well, you know, the first step is being labeled as a genocide state, right? A successor genocide state. Um, and then the second issue is the compensation factor. And what does that mean and how complicated and big does that have to be? If you think about it, uh, you know, a million and a half of two million Armenians who lived in the Ottoman Empire were, uh, were exterminated, were, were uh, killed. Uh, and all of that property, all of that wealth, all of that you know, generation upon generation of of what what would have been a prosperous you know Armenian people was put a, a stop was put to it right and so there's a lot to compensate for over 106 years uh, and it's not just for the lives that are lost but as Lada talked about there were a lot of cultural and religious sites as well uh, that they have either destroyed or turned into mosques. Or if you visit uh, villages in uh, the Armenian highlands in uh, eastern Turkey, uh, you'll see that a lot of villagers, you'll be walking by a village house, 
and there'll be a symbol of a cross embedded into the wall and it's because they you know destroyed the local church and took bits of the rock of the church and built their homes with it so you've got you know stone crosses built into village homes you've got armenian writing you know uh because they they've taken down armenian heritage sites and armenian uh churches and turned them into you know farms and barns and how homes and what have you is there i, I remember t.e lawrence reading uh much of his writing where he touched on on this uh what the ottomans he spoke about them uh being very rigid you know never acknowledging you know uh uh things that they've done um and most importantly angry when someone would tell them you need to do this it, it's almost like a cultural thing what is there a movement now does biden open the door to this widening other countries have other countries uh stood up and said yes this is genocide will it lead to anything at the united nations maybe um what can we expect in terms of now that the u.s has done it who else is going to follow and what will happen annie if you want to start and then maybe oh, sure. um yes there there are many many countries that already have recognized uh, the genocide of uh, france germany uh, most of most of western europe uh minus the united kingdom um and uh so i think what this does is give other uh smaller players in the world uh the courage to to speak truth to power uh but as i mentioned all of this is only relevant once it becomes policy right so uh the first step is to sit to say the word and then to uh to back up the word with policy you think the u.s is gonna uh implement some uh uh, policy that would require the uh, Turks to acknowledge this before getting support from us, continued support? Um, well, I think that uh, there are a lot of issues uh, between Turkey and uh, the United States today, uh, most of which is created by Turkey itself. Uh, I think that um, that on many, many issues, this administration is going to uh, try to reel Turkey back in, uh, you know, carrot stick, carrot stick, uh, and certainly uh, the Armenian genocide issue has always been a stick, uh, but, a thorn on but, their side. But it's put a big spotlight now. Biden has put a big spotlight right. on. We only got like about a minute left, so I'm going to ask Lara, um, what do you think uh, Biden's statement will lead to? Does it open doors and put more pressure of significance on the Turks? Well, I, I think it does a lot of things. I think it definitely makes it easier for other countries to recognize. It's a debate in Israel right now. You think Israel, you know, obviously, they know the history. They've been a big part of advocating for genocide recognition generally in the world. And, and there are a lot of voices in Israel who are starting to break right. with the state the state policy of not recognizing the genocide. But, but separately to that, I think it also puts a spotlight on what happened to the Assyrians, what happened to the, the Pontic Greeks, the Greeks of the Ottoman Empire. You know, these are civilizations that became stateless or non-existent in time. Uh, very little left of the Pontic Greek culture right. that we can point to today. Well, so I think that's important, too. All right. Lara Satrakian, thank you so much. Annie Chaglassian, thank you from uh, uh, both my guests. You get all the information on uh, ArabNews.com. I'm Ray Hanania. Um, we're at the end of our show, and I want to thank both our guests for joining us this morning. And I want to leave everybody here with this uh, Arab proverb. Avoid things that will require an apology. I think that's very appropriate. 
Uh, Annie, thank you so much, Lara. Again, I appreciate it. And everybody out there, uh, thank you for listening to our show. We'll be back Wednesday morning. Remember, tonight in Detroit, 5 p.m., you can hear the radio show again. But we'll be back Wednesday morning next week with another great show here at the Ray Hanania Show. Good day, everybody. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks.